Blog Talk Radio. You know, in the aftermath of uh, the Republican sweep uh, uh, this past week, uh, I thought it would be appropriate to bring on one of the more interesting people I've run into over the last uh, uh, year or so. His name is Dan Perkins. Uh, as we do with all of our guests, we're going to ask him a little bit um, about his personal background and what he's doing. But uh, uh, before I do, I just want to thank, uh, there were several people who emailed me uh, during, during the night, uh, election night, asking uh, for this very uh, show. So without further ado, I want to uh, introduce Dan Perkins. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you, well, sir. Well, you were with us a few weeks ago, and it turned out that show uh, was the, is the number one show in the last two years in terms of listeners and follow-up archive. So uh, you were good then, and I expect you to be better uh, tonight. No pressure there. <laughs> <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, for our audience again. <clears throat> uh, I'm a registered investment advisor in private practice. I have my own small firm, and I've been managing money for clients uh, for about 41 years. Uh, about three years ago, um, next February, I found out that I had the ability to be a pretty good storyteller and became a, a novelist, and I've written three novels working on my fourth got a movie option for book one in the trilogy, and um, it's doing well. Uh, just about a month and a half ago, I brought out the first book in audio, and I haven't talked to you, Don, but I got a, uh, a production report for the second month, and I had my first sale in the U.K. So now I'm an international author who's sold overseas. Um, so it's... it's um, it's very. I'm, I'm, I'm a history nut and fanatic. I, I love American history, and um, things like we saw last night will be an important part of American history. Well, I've been saying it um, all along that this election is one of the most important midterm elections in our history, and I'm, mm-hmm. uh, I'm happy to say, I might antagonize some of the audience, that uh, the good guys won this time. But now. They they have to govern. Um, now they have to govern, and uh, the Republicans do, and and demonstrate um, that uh, they're more than just uh, what the media uh, says are uh, do nothing. Actually, I thought it was very interesting that uh, the future majority leader pointed out that the Alaskan senator never voted on the floor of the. Uh, uh, Senate in the six years there, th- thanks to Harry Reid. But that's my own editorial comment. But you, you yeah, have I think that, uh, I, I saw last night that there were, in the time that Harry Reid was the majority leader of the Senate, um, they never had evening sessions. They never generally never worked on weekends. There were over 280 bills that was passed by the House that never got to the floor of the Senate, so that the the Senate part of the 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 triumvirate of how we're governed never functioned. And um, uh, I think that Mitch McConnell 
will do things differently than Harry Reid did. At least I hope he will. Uh, we we've had some early indication today that uh, that he seems to be very interested in uh, getting the government off the backs of small business and dealing with regulations and 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 pronouncements and and um, and so that's going to be a tough job because the president um, was not very conciliatory in his uh, press conference today. Uh, he basically said to the to the press, you know, we'll listen to the Republicans and we'll act as long as they'll do what we want them to do. And and I think that that was that was um that was a shot across the bow of the Republicans just because you got, you know, it's interesting. Remember when uh, when Obama won in 2012, his his rhetoric was we won, I won, get over it. We're going to do what we want to do. And now that we have, the Republicans have control of the Congress, all of a sudden uh, the Congress is irrelevant. Um, we're going to see some, perhaps some interesting showdowns. And and maybe because we now have control, Republicans have control of both the House and the Senate, the power of the purse, while the president could can use his executive uh, powers to, in essence, legislate, um, he can't finance. And so the Congress can refuse to fund or restrict the funds that he might have available for certain agendas like immigration. So um, I think by and large the first day, it's a it's a good day potentially for the small business person that maybe there will be an opportunity to the government will get off its back. I would caution your listeners, however, from a money standpoint, that I believe uh, it wasn't but three weeks ago the market was down almost 10%, and things looked a little gloomy, and all of a sudden the market came roaring back. I think we might have already seen the Republican rally, at least for now. Yes, but um, uh, what do you think is going to happen in, in the future? You have some interesting ideas, and that's why I asked you on the program tonight, because it's just so important. Um, well, I, I, what do you? Th- I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm just going to say, what do you think? The floor is all yours, Dan. Okay. Well, I, I think that what's what's going to happen here is, um, uh, I, I when I manage money for people, um, I have to force myself to look beyond today, and I have to look for what I think might be opportunities in the in the future. What are the opportunities to invest money? Um, what companies are likely to have opportunities to grow, and what companies are going to be companies that are going to be difficult to grow? Um, I already heard today uh, from at least three different sources that they believe that the the reporters are saying that they believe that the easiest thing to get done because of the control of the Senate by the the Republicans, is the passing of legislation that would allow the building, the the continuation of the the pipeline. And and while I think that that's important, I don't think that's the most important thing um, coming out of the election that the Republicans need to do. 
I think the most important thing, and I think the Keystone Pipeline is probably second, but the most important thing is, and most of your most of your listeners may not even be aware of this, that there is a restriction <clears throat> placed by the federal government that we cannot export crude oil out of the United States. Um, we have one of the reasons why we have crude oil at seventy-eight dollars a barrel is that our economy is not growing fast enough to absorb the capacity that we're bringing on. So we have huge amount of excess capacity and a huge amount of inventory in supply. <clears throat> I think what the Congress needs to do, the first thing is to eliminate the restriction of the exporting of crude oil. Now, why is that important? Well, before you do, did, I don't know if you saw the Wall Street Journal, but the, uh, a, a company has already defined the ban by exporting uh, Yes. They're basically um, challenging... I, I think it's a good thing. They're challenging the administration. Uh, and, and Mobile is a big exploration company all over the world, uh, but they're doing that. So why is this important? It's important for a whole raft of reasons. Um, right now, we are ostensibly... Uh, we have enough supply of crude oil... <clears throat> in storage tanks that we don't really need to import into import anything from any anywhere. If we got rid of the ban, two things would happen. It would release the excess inventory to be sold in the open market. Now this is a good thing and it's a bad thing. It's a good thing because right now OPEC recently reported that it needs $90 a barrel, meaning the average across OPEC it needs $90 a barrel to break even. At $78 a barrel, they're hurting. In fact, they're <clears throat> in order to fund their governments and take care of their people, they are now having to <clears throat> dip into their reserves. The longer it goes below $90, the more these OPEC nations are going to be forced to dip into their reserves in order to fund their governments and to take care of their people. Now, on the other hand, Saudi Arabia only needs 85 but Saudi Arabia at 85 is still below. I think that crude oil prices could, in the natural fall of things right now, can go to, to probably 70, 71. At $71 a barrel, OPEC is in serious trouble. And if we get the release where we can export crude oil, we can be extremely competitive because, believe it or not, we can in the United States, we can extract oil at about $16 a barrel. So we can go on to the world markets and begin to be the major supplier of energy around the world. Imagine, uh, Don, if we would have had this policy in place when Mr. Putin decided he was going to do something in the Ukraine and he threatened Western Europe with cutting off their supplies of oil and natural gas. Had we had an energy policy where we had open markets and we could sell crude oil in the open markets and natural gas, we could have delivered hundreds of millions of barrels of oil and natural gas liquids to Western Europe and would have changed Mr. Putin's approach dramatically because we would have taken revenue away from him. In fact, that's a very important key, Don. If we become the largest exporter of crude oil in the world, we set the price, which means we have the potential to destroy OPEC. More importantly, those governments who are living off of oil revenues that not only support their people, 
but support terrorist organizations are going to be forced to choose between supporting their countrymen and spending money to support terrorists. I think they want to keep their jobs and they want to keep political stability in their countries. So the terrorists are going to find themselves drying up for money. Now, what that also means for the small businessman, who's already probably seen, depending on where you are, I'm here on Sanibel Island in Florida for a few more weeks. So island gases have to be brought in over the the causeway and all the taxes and everything. We're paying $2.99 for a gallon of regular gasoline. I've seen a report uh, published by uh, the AAA where in some areas of the country it's as low as $2.60. If I'm right that crude oil drops another $7 to $8 a barrel, we're going to see gasoline prices here on Sanibel in the 270s, and we may see it in many places in the countries below 250 That means the cost, the cost for your small businessman to get around to see his customers in energy is going to come down, and it will be a diminishing portion of his expense for his operating business, and therefore may have an opportunity for profits. In addition, since crude oil and petroleum distillates are an important integral part in so many products that are manufactured in the United States, the feed costs are going to come down, which means that industries are going to start lowering in prices. This is why I was talking about earlier about deflation coming on board. So that means that the the products that your small businessman is either manufacturing using petrochemicals as a base or distributing a product for somebody else that's made with petrochemicals, they're going to see their costs come down. And conversely, their customers are going to want to see the prices come down as the price of crude oil comes down. If you think about it, we have not had an opportunity in this country because we've had no energy policy to see what could happen to the pricing of goods and services. Now imagine if we are the lowest cost energy provider in the world, what about the possibility of organizations, corporations, who have shift jobs in manufacturing overseas, who will now have a higher cost of energy, which is a major component of operating a business, coming back to the United States because The United States is the most competitive operating market in the world. So I expect to see the opportunity for new businesses to be developed or new plants to be built or factories to be built where companies are going to start moving their manufacturing back to the United States because energy costs are low. And that's going to create opportunities for for small business people to go out and serve more customers. And they're going to be competitive in price. And it could create a significant secular boom in the United States, which the world will eventually ultimately, at least some portions of the world, will ultimately benefit. And so energy becomes a very critical part. It puts developing America's energy resources, making it the energy leader in the world, puts hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to work in very good paying jobs, It lowers the cost of our energy, therefore lowers the cost of any product that is petroleum-based, and it's going to lower the cost for the small business person, and it may create an opportunity for them to be more competitive on their pricing against foreign competitors who are trying to capture market share in the United States.
that the deflation will work its way through. Now, it's very hard. Uh, there's some there's some negatives with with deflation. It's very hard for organized labor to ask for pay increases when costs are going down. And so that if you have a stable labor a labor price, uh, the, again that becomes more attractive uh, for corporations to relocate and come to the United States. So that's going to happen. Um, I also believe that that um, uh, I've been doing a lot of research on this particular subject matter, Don, and what I'm finding is that um, the United States is pretty much in line with the rest of the world except China in the um, the employment participation rate at around 60 to 61 percent of the available workforces working. So the world over has an incredible surplus of uh, productive people, potentially productive people, and they don't have a way to put them to work. If if you look uh, and you go on the, the web and you look at what's happening in the Dakotas and Texas with the boom from energy, from oil and natural gas, what you're seeing is a resurgence uh, of the Dakotas uh, and and in Texas and, and all of the energy. There's a, a big boom in uh, western Pennsylvania and uh, in in parts of Ohio on Marcellus Shale. But um, all of this this great energy boom that we have is all done on private land. Imagine if we had the ability to leverage to government land and we can begin to extract energy, we could become the energy supplier to the world. Um, we could affect, just as we, we would be affected the pricing of goods in the United States and ultimately services because of a lower cost of energy, the same thing would be true as being able to provide energy at a lower cost alternative to Russia or the Middle East in Europe, for example, we could have a significant impact on those economies and help them to begin to turn around. As you know, energy is a hell of a lot more expensive in Europe than it is in the United States. And uh, you you begin to cut down the cost of energy. Then the other spinoff, the other challenge, let's, let's just humor me for a moment, Don, and let's say that I'm right, that crude oil goes to $70 a barrel, $7, $8 less than what it is today. Whole industries are now going to be wiped out, and fortunes are going to get lost in alternative energy. Alternative energy cannot compete with $70 crude oil or lower. Can't. And so all the windmills, all of the uh, solar panels, and all that stuff that's out there, at $70. Think, think what, Don, think what else is going to come down. If the energy companies who are now running more natural gas than coal, continue to see the price of natural gas decline. At some point in time, they're going to start 
because they're regulated under the Public Utilities Commission, they're going to start reducing, think about this, Don, reducing the kilowatt per hour price for electricity that that we as individuals and businesses are paying for electrical power. So this whole this whole energy web is is all over has impacts all over the world, all over our economy. You know, it's interesting there's a Venezuela has more oil reserves than any other at least at the moment more oil reserves in any other place in the world. But you know what's going on, Don? Their government. Their <laughs> what's going on in Venezuela is after Mr. Chavez died, there's nobody around to run the oil company. The oil that Venezuela has is what they call heavy, sticky crude. So it has to be, it has high sulfur content, so it has to be processed well before it can be refined to take out the sulfur. So what's happened mm-hmm. is they don't have anybody now. Venezuela, which has some of the largest oil reserves in the world, can no longer process its own oil. It's now an oil-importing country. Yes. So the whole idea of this energy having a widespread impact on what it is um, – the price of gasoline, the price of heating oil, the price of natural gas, the conversion the conversion from diesel to natural gas for commercial vehicles, garbage trucks, long haul trucks, taxi cabs becomes becomes a little harder, but right now it's about fifty fifty percent fuel saving based on the spread between the price of natural gas and the gallon of of gasoline so Energy could be, could be, has the potential, in my in my opinion, to be the major growth industry in the United States for decades to come. Well, saying all of this, to the average dry cleaner on the corner, um, the average restaurant, etc., um, if we have a, def- a deflation here, where is the money going to? The money, actually, the, the differential from between what you used to pay for gasoline or what you used to pay for heating oil to run your business or what you paid for the chemicals in your dry cleaning business, the differential between what you're paying for it and what you're charging for your service, the spread, as we like to call it on Wall Street, goes in your pocket. So for the same dollar of income and expense, a reduction in the expenses, even for the corner dry cleaner, in the reduction in the cost of his dry cleaning fluids, which are chemically petrochemically based, his price of his cleaning fluids, this is what's hard to done. This is what's hard for people to understand, that it's, that it's actually possible that prices could go down in the United States. We have lived for several generations of an inflation-driven mentality. And the markets the, the markets that I watch, Don, are clearly signaling you have a five-year low in crude oil. You have a five-year low in gold, which was down another $27 an ounce to a new uh, recent low over the last five years. If you look at all of the agricultural commodities, 
wheat and corn and soybean and soybean meal and sorghum and everything else, you're finding that that we are now at five-year lows for those commodity prices. Remember that the farmer, in order to plant his corn, needs two things, petrochemical fertilizer and gasoline or diesel to run his tractor. If the price of both come down, his spread widens. Now, as the cost of all of these things come down, the price that he can command for his corn or soybean or wheat will also come down, but the spread will be greater so that his cost to grow the corn or the wheat or the soybeans will diminish because fuel and petrochemical fertilizer are such an important and high percentage cost for the for the farmer, small or big. So if you just think about all the ways that oil and energy impacts how we process things in the United States, whether it's the Chinese restaurant down the corner, the dry cleaner, or the automobile factory around the corner. Energy is an extremely important. Think about what's going to happen to the airline industry, Don, with lower jet fuel costs because the price of crude oil is down. I'm not saying they're necessarily going to lower prices, but what's going to happen is they're going to stop raising prices and as they make more money because their energy cost, the, in an airline, the two major costs are employees and energy. And if you can affect the energy cost, then you can affect, you can begin to have an Im- impact on the profitability of the airline industry. And as a result, if you can lower the cost, your expenses, I mean, this is, Don, this is what small business people deal with every day. How do I control my costs? If I can control my cost, I can make more profits. If costs are rising, it's going to eat into my if, – if costs are rising faster, and that's what we've been dealing with for several generations, a mentality that we're in an, uh, always going to have inflation. And it's hard to believe that there's a possibility – that we're going to go into a deflationary period that could be around for some period of time. And what will drive that deflation, believe it or not, is energy independence in the United States. It's going to put millions of people back to work, going to give a lot of wealth and tax revenue to the government, but it's also going to reduce the cost for lots and lots of things. Think about everything that you can in your house, Don, that's made out of plastic. You want to replace it? You're going to replace it out of something made out of plastic, which is petrochemical-based. If the feedstock continues to fall, you realize right now we're almost 50% the all-time, uh, 50% of the all-time high of crude oil at $141 a barrel. We're at $78, $77 a barrel. So it's down almost 50% from its price. High. But and so as what? a result... Go ahead. No, you first. Finish up. No, you were going to ask me a question. I'm, I'm just saying it. it yeah. The more you well, think about all, energy. Yeah, but given all of this, what could? How should a small business today, in your opinion, what should they they be preparing for? Deflation, less uh, money. Um, uh, you know, what's going to happen? Uh, are there cost of goods going to go down? 
Yes. Uh, I believe there I think this is this is what I think if I were a small businessman what I would be looking for if I'm if I'm manufacturing something that has a petrochemical base or liquids or fluids or whatever I'm going to be looking I want to begin to look at alternative suppliers in the United States. Uh if I'm buying product that is petrochemical based, plastics and stuff, I want to begin to begin to look for companies in the United States who are coming back into the market because their costs are lower than the cost overseas. And so I'm looking I I'm strongly suggesting that your small business people need to begin to start looking for alternative sources for product or supplies for their business, especially domestic ones. But have we have we exported so much manufacturing that we could never bring it back? Oh, no, no, no. Believe me, the, the corporations, this, let's, let's be very crass here, Don. The reason why the corporation moved the job to China and moved the factory to China is that they could produce the product that they needed to sell at a lower unit cost in China than they could in the United States. And I'm saying to you that the corporations right now have in excess of $2 trillion of balance sheet assets off the books outside of the United States. Give them a reason to bring a job back. One of the reasons is a lower cost of manufacturing. What's one of the lowest, what's one of the most important costs? The cost of energy. If we can begin, if we could begin to be even more competitive because our cost of natural gas becomes less expensive and crude oil becomes less expensive, the energy companies will start cut, stop will start cutting or stop increasing their rates for a while, then start cutting their rates. And as a result, I mean, here here's a, just to show you how this this thing has so many tentacles. Right now, if you own a small business, let's say in New Jersey where you are, but it's happening all over the country, you have uh, a regulated utility in your marketplace that provides you with electrical power or natural gas. Used to, not anymore. What you have now is a system where you as the consumer, a small businessman or an individual, can choose where your energy is going to come from. It may not necessarily come from PSE&G or general public utilities. General public utilities and PSE&G may be the deliverer agent to your home or your place of business, but the competitive marketplace allows you to go out and find a different power supplier, a natural gas provider, and they may not even be in the state of New Jersey. So what's happening is you now have the ability to opt out and say, I don't want general public utilities to be my electrical supplier anymore. They can deliver it to my house, but I want uh, XYZ Energy, who is uh, approved by the State Public Utilities Commission, to be an energy provider, even though they may not be in the United in in your state, in this case New Jersey. Why is that important? Because uh, 
as the cost of energy decreases because the cost of fuel decreases, then you as a small businessman are going to have the ability to choose a different supplier to provide you electrical or natural gas power to run your office. Now, if you're a manufacturing facility, you can also have the same right to choose your power provider. And so as the cost of energy comes down, and these independent providers are going to start, they're already reducing the cost, they'll be able to reduce it even more. Then, in particular communities around the country, the partnership between these independent power producers and the economic development authorities is going to be a powerful package to try and get people to move back from India or China or Puerto Rico or whatever back into the United States because of the labor pool and because of the cost to do business. And on top of that... Go ahead. No, finish, please. On top of that is that the Congress is talking about corporate tax reform. Which we badly need. Yeah, so we could wind up in a, in a in a golden triangle, Don. A government that wants us to build businesses, tax incentives to build those businesses, and lower costs than anywhere else in the world to run those businesses. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, uh, do we have the labor, the educated labor force to do it? Uh, it was brought up this afternoon at a meeting. I'm out here in Reno. The one said, "The problem is we don't have an educated, uh, an educated workforce. Yeah, we don't have and enough." You think, that's a, you, you think that's a problem? You see it as a problem. I, I I see it as an opportunity. Let me tell you why. We have 92 million people who would like to work that aren't working. And their unemployment is gone, and now they have no source of income. Now, I'm going to point to you two examples, and they are the Dakotas and Texas. And what the Dakotas has done, they've got an incredibly low unemployment rate less than 2%. What they've basically said, you don't have a skill, that's okay. We'll train you. We need you. Come and work for us. So you've got 92 million people who I think, given the right set of opportunities, would love to have a job to be independent, to put money in their pocket, not be beholden to the government. So, yeah, we've got a whole bunch of people that aren't trained, but the growth prospects in the energy business are such, you come, we'll train you. I mean, for example, um, that is how the Japanese business has run for decades. They'll let an individual, young man, go to college, study whatever he wants to do, sow his oats, do whatever he wants to do. And, but when he comes to work for the Japanese company, they're going to train him the way they want him to operate and function, regardless of what his education is or lack thereof. I'm saying there is a workforce that in this country, if they saw that there was an opportunity, and this is why energy independence is such an important thing, because I don't know about you, Don, but I don't think I want to live in the Dakotas in the wintertime. 
Probably wouldn't mind Texas. But what I'm saying is that as we begin to understand how to develop our energy resources, we're going to see a boom all over the country. And so there's going to be a need for people everywhere. I just talked to a guy. You're hearing this uh, firsthand, Don. I just talked to a guy this evening about an investment idea of how we can save the city of Detroit. What if we took the city of Detroit and realized that if we if we eliminated the restrictions on the exportation of crude oil, what if we made the city of Detroit one of the major export terminals for crude oil in the United States? We would pick up crude oil from through the Midwest all the way to the Dakotas, and we would ship it by pipeline, which puts thousands of people to work building the pipelines, into Detroit in a, a new series of terminals along the river there that can the tankers can come in and fill up with American crude oil and go to any place in the world. We have that ability. So we, yeah, I understand we may not have the most technically, technically proficient, and we have a need for people. We don't have the skill, but... I don't really care because in the things that I'm thinking that we need to do, <clears throat> we can train people for what they need to be. Because well, if you not... have to... De- Please, I'm go sorry. on. I don't mean to interrupt you. That's right. I just say it. on that basis, I can put millions of people back to work who need to be trained into jobs that are going to pay them very well. They're going to have their own home, a couple of cars, big screen TV, have money in the bank, have a retirement account, and the whole attitude of the country will change just by making the decision to let America export its oil. Why do you why do you think uh, President Obama is so against it? Because he has a wing of his party that are environmentalist wackos. That's why the Keystone Pipeline pipeline has been delayed. When everybody, every other government agency said it's not a problem, president can't sign the Keystone Pipeline because it would alienate his base. Well, now he's on the last two years of his of his presidency, and he's got a Republican-controlled House and Senate. Maybe he makes different decisions. But I think uh-huh. the, I think I think the country is ready for um, a relationship with Canada to bring all those tar sands. Let them go into the United States and let them be refined in their finished product. Remember, Don, if we have the lowest cost of the crude stock, then the refined product that we produce, which is more profitable to sell, also becomes more competitive in the open markets. Well, I, I tend to agree with you. It, you know, I always enjoy listening to you, Dan, because you you have such a uh, uh, forward-thinking ideas. Um, I hope our audience is um, uh, uh, really, really getting the gist of what you say. Uh, I mm-hmm. should tell the audience: Dan and I appear every Tuesday um, at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on a nationally syndicated program, and uh, we started out disagreeing, but we seem to be more and more agreeing. Which doesn't make for good radio, but makes for good. Uh, um, uh, information, but uh, Dan, right. let's uh, let, let uh, the stock market, um, you know, went out of control uh, the last couple of weeks. 
uh, as mm-hmm. you say, anticipating the Republican bubble. Uh, where mm-hmm. do you see? Uh, do you think that profits will start to increase in corporations, or? Well, there are some pundits who say that the 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 um, the time between the November election and early March of a midterm election, the markets tend to be up double digits uh, on a historical basis. Now, we're up 10% off of our low, so we've already experienced a double-digit return in the last two to three weeks. Whether the market goes higher, um, I think that uh, uh, if... If the Congress, I don't think the lame duck session can do it or will, has the desire to do it. I think the, the defeated Democrats want to get out of town uh, and go back to their wherever. Um, so I would look for this, uh, this um, legislation to, and it may be tied with the Keystone Pipeline, uh, eliminating the... Um, the restrictions on the exportation of crude oil. Um, I think that if that happens sometime in the first of the year, sometime early in the first quarter, you could see a tremendous stock market rally because if you think about all of the businesses that, again, require energy to run their factories, they require energy to fly from place to place and drive their cars and run the forklift trucks and everything else. If you can get a control of the energy and you can make America the largest beginning the process, it's not going to happen overnight because it takes a certain amount of time to build the infrastructure. But if we want to build the infrastructure fast, we we have a lot of people we put, we can put the work to making a really good living while we're building the pipelines. My point is in running the oil rigs and all the manufacturers who are going to be building the oil rigs are going to see a lower cost of energy, so they're going to be more competitive in structure in building the structure uh, of the oil rigs because their energy costs are going to be less. Um, and so what happens is that uh, um, I, I think that if the if the ban is lifted, we could see a, a pretty good rally in this market um, in the, early in the first quarter, sometime in January, shortly after the Congress takes place, maybe in late January. If things, however, begin to look like they're going to bog down and there's not going to be any real progress, even with the new Republican-controlled Senate, then I'd be concerned about the markets. I think they could possibly, they could possibly come down um, and test the most recent lows. And in fact, they probably should go back and test the recent lows, uh, about 10% down from here, just to see if that is a is a good base. And if they if it doesn't hold because the economic news is uh, is bad. I mean, the Federal Reserve recently reported that they expect that the, this economy to grow to between 1.5% and 2% uh, for 2015. Um, the uh, six years that Obama was in presence, the average, average growth rate of the GDP of the United States was 0.75. Uh, the average growth rate for the, for the, the Chinese economy, which is now the largest economy in the world um, was uh, 44% for the same six years versus less than one, less than 6% for us in six years. So, but again, change energy and things change dramatically. I mean, how would you like to be able to pay $2 a gallon for gasoline, Don? 
Well, I remember when I paid 35 cents a gallon for gasoline. Uh, so I look, always look at $2 as being expensive. But then again, right. uh, well, so <laughs> I, don't, no, I, don't, I don't mean to be. Uh, but Dan, if you were starting a small business today, and uh, under your scenario, well, what businesses do you think you should go into? Uh, if I'm right on energy, if I'm right on energy, then there are tremendous opportunities for organizations to small businesses to get involved in helping servicing the energy industry. And I mean garages, I mean print shops, I mean uh, stationery, restaurants, all these things that are support services for the energy industry. I mean, home building uh, um, uh, uh, is is another area where you're going to see some expansion. that's one of the pluses. Again, if if I'm right, those areas we begin to deliver and develop our non-private uh, sector or our government lands, you have parts of this country that have housing that's very depressed. People can't afford their mortgages. And as a re- result, you've got all these defaults. Well, all of a sudden, real estate might be interesting, not so much from an investment standpoint, us drying up the surplus and um, making neighborhoods look better again and, and, and many things because people have gotten back to work and their sense of pride and a personal accomplishment. So I think services related to, now I, don't, I don't mean necessarily intellectual services, although those will be important, but I see things that will go with the service industry. And I would, uh, in, the, in the oil and natural gas industry, I would think that the, the the thing to do would be to 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 do some internet searching on what's going on <clears throat> in the Dakotas and Texas, Midland and Odessa and those areas, and see what kinds of companies are being started and what they're doing in that oil service area. And I'm not saying you have to build a Halliburton, but you can you know you can build a lot of different kinds of businesses that are support services for that whole industry. And um, temporary employees and, and, uh, as I said, um, truck services and uh, parts and and all these things are going to be important uh, to the growth of that oil service industry in your neighborhood. And so that's where I would begin to look because, as I said, I think that the oil business, the energy business, has the greatest growth opportunity of anything that I see right now in the United States. Dan, it's been a fascinating uh, time. It's rapidly going away. How do people um, find you, reach you, find your book, which I found uh, fascinating? Uh, okay. Give us the, some, some contact. We're talking about okay. Dan Perkins, by the way. Uh, uh, I don't know what to call him. I just say extraordinaire. Uh, the <laughs> Renaissance man. Some people call me the Renaissance man. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, can I ask you a quick question before I answer your question? How much time do we have? We, uh, we've got about another four minutes. Okay. Um, I want to talk about songs and stories for soldiers because that's getting kicked off next week in uh, Cleveland. Um, you can get my books at Amazon.com. Just go to the search window at Amazon and put in my name, Dan Perkins, and it will take you to the um, 
the paperbacks, the hard copies, the e-books, and the audiobook for book one. Uh, if you want to um, find out more about me, if you go to Google and you just Google my name, Dan Perkins, uh, you'll find a link to my website, which uh, can give you all kinds of information and interviews and stories and op-ed pieces and everything about. And if you're interested in my money management operation, <clears throat> you can go to money in mot dot blogspot dot com and you'll see video commentary as necessary there's a couple of three out in the last week or so and i'm doing one tomorrow so that's how you can get a hold of me now i do want to spend just a moment about uh, songs and stories for soldiers this is a nonprofit that my wife and i started to build an mp3 website of millions of songs tens of thousands of audiobooks for active duty wounded and veterans in VA hospitals across the United States. We set up this website, which I believe will go live on Friday, and we're going to the Stokes VA Hospital in Cleveland to kick off the first introduction of songs and stories to soldiers in a VA hospital, and we're really excited about that. We're supposed to meet about 250 soldiers uh, in the hospital. Uh, And basically what we're doing is giving them free access to a website that links them to about 2 million songs which they can download for free, uh, 10 to 15 services that offer audiobooks for free, and then we're going to have something, a third portal called Something Special, where <clears throat> we're going to be a, a platform for new authors and new performers to co- showcase their work. We're also going to create, which I think is very exciting, starting interviews, and we've already started them, with soldiers to capture an oral history. So our goal over time is to build one of the largest oral history resources of the American soldier ever built. And we're very excited about it. The web is, is it's a long one. It's songs and stories for soldiers dot us. And you can go there and you can, uh, you can see what the soldiers are going to see and the kinds of books and music they're going to have. There's a little section in something special where we've put we've put up two sites that have tens of thousands of old-time radio shows done. It's just unbelievable that I grew up with and soldiers from the Second World War, Korea, and Vietnam grew up with. So that's a something special that we're doing for the soldiers. So it's a very rewarding uh, program to be able to do something as a veteran for veterans uh, to, as we say in our foundation, we have one purpose in our foundation, and that is to get the soldiers to mourning. See, the the daytime is fine, but the nighttime is when everybody wakes up and there are no support services, and that's when fear and anger and frustration and tension and post-stress disorder and all these things come roaring back in the nighttime. And if we can get the soldier to put on the earphones and push the play button on our MP3 package, we can get them to dawn. Well, uh, I was about to just introduce that because I th- uh, that's the thing I think uh, I, I impressed me most about you. About, and repeat the website again and repeat how people can, uh, can get to you. Um, the website for for the, the soldier program is songs, S-O-N-G-S, and the word A-N-D, stories, S-T-O-R-E-S, for soldiers, dot U-S, not dot com or dot net or dot org dot us united states and uh, that should be active sometime on friday and then my my 
books are at Amazon. You go to the search engine and just put in uh, Dan Perkins and Amazon will take you to my books. And Google will take you to uh, Dan Perkins if you just put in in Google search. And then my blog site for my money management is www.moneyinmot.blogspot.com. Well, Dan, it's been a, as usual. I, I never uh, talk with you, but I learned something. Really appreciate you came came come, came tonight, and uh, uh, I don't know where to go with this outside of. Uh, uh, we're going to invite you back uh, uh, in the new year. Well, sure. We'll see just what the Senate and what the president are doing, and where we are with oil and everything else. Thank you. All right, sir. I hope your audience enjoyed it. Well, I'll let you know. Talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye.